Hey, how's it going, folks? It's Abdullah and Bean. And welcome to the 2020 Great Moments in Weed History holiday special episode. It's been a little while since we've done an episode. Of course, it has been a crazy year for everybody. We are once again an independent show, doing it the way we've always done it. And we just want to say a huge, huge thank you to everyone who has been listening to the show, everyone who's been rating us and writing us nice reviews, subscribing, and a special, special shout out to everybody who supports us on Patreon. We really appreciate you, and we're really glad to be back doing this show. Isn't that right, Bean? Oh, absolutely. And also to everybody who reached out with a little email or a message on our social media just telling us you dig the show, that it's been uh, helping you get through this year, makes you feel like you're having a sesh with your friends. Well, that's exactly what it is. You know, it's a sesh. You're our friends. This is our community. And it's really kept us inspired all year hearing from you. Uh, and we've got big plans for season four. That's the number one question, which is a great question for us to feel. We love that you want more episodes and we're working on them. And in the meantime, uh, given the season and, and given the year that we're about to put to bed, uh, we thought a holiday special would be a great way to bring everybody back together. Yeah, absolutely. And also, we want to give a very special Great Moments in Weed history. Happy birthday to Nona Marijuana, who was born on Christmas Day in 1923, making her 97 years young this year. She's a really special friend of the podcast. We did an episode of Bong Appetit back in the day. It was a Christmas special, and we did all kinds of fun things with Nona and with Valerie from the organization Wham! And we just want to give our support and give our love to Nona and Val and everybody up there in Santa Cruz. Caring for people using cannabis, it's, it's something that's really important to us here on the show. Uh, and of course, Nona is responsible for the legendary eggnog. Eggnog. Wait, did you just say eggnog? Yes, it's a special type of eggnog that has been treated. And that's all I'm going to tell you. We'll surprise you. <laughs> yeah, and you can also find her recipe for medicated latkes online. That, <laughs> yeah. that wasn't a bong appetit. It was something she did herself. Uh, but very non-denominational. You know, it's a holiday season for everybody. Absolutely. So I'm really, really excited for the story we've got going today. Bean, what do you have for us? Yeah, well, it, it is a Christmas story today, but it's a non-religious one. Uh, so a little something for everybody. Uh, I, I should note, if, if you came here for religious scholarship, as most people do, and you are <laughs> expecting <laughs> a story, if you're looking for Rabbi David Bienenstock, who's a real person, or uh, is, uh, is it Islamic studies professor? Uh, yeah, that's right. Professor Abdullah Said at the University of Melbourne. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is not their podcast. Uh, this is ours. Uh, but we do have an episode in season one, a uh, very serious episode about how Jesus used cannabis to perform all those healing miracles. So that's yes. it is an epic story. An epic story, the greatest weed history story ever told. Some might as, say. <laughs> some yes. might say. Uh, but today we are going to talk about uh, an individual who I would say is the second uh, most uh, iconic figure in the Christmas pantheon. 
Uh, particularly with the hint of uh, being a non-religious aspect uh, of Christmas. I don't know if that's ringing any jingle bells for you. Yeah, I mean, unless capitalism is a religion, I guess. <laughs> uh, I think I know who we're talking about. Is this a Kris Kringle-related weed story, Bean? It is going to be uh, a story about Santa Claus, and it is also going to be a trip way back in time, and I think that uh, some people may know the story and, and will, I'm sure, fill in a lot of fun details for you and for uh, some people, just kind of hold on to your eggnog because I'm about to blow your mind. Oh, uh, my God. Okay, <laughs> I am super excited. I've got my joint rolled and ready to go. I've got my coffee here. I've got my ears listening for this incredible weed Santa story. Uh, Bean, you feeling ready? Well, I, I, I'm not rolled up yet. I didn't. I didn't. I'm just splitting my blunt. I didn't pack my bong full. It's it's okay. You can hit. You can hit pause. It's a it's a podcast. It's, it's not live. Uh, but I'm personally ready. I know you're ready. And and when you come back from getting yourself all ready to roll or rolled, uh, I think it's going to be time for another great, great moment in weed history. All right, Bean, I am actively lighting up my joint. Take us to Christmas Town. Let's talk about a really old. Christmas tradition. This story is going to go back way further than than I think you think. But mm. uh, we're so we're we're talking about Santa Claus today, uh, yeah. and it's kind of an unsolved Santa mystery of like who is this dude? Where did he come from? Uh, it's obviously you know very closely aligned now with Christmas, a holiday about Jesus's birth. Mm. But Jesus never saw a snowflake. You know, not not at least while he was alive and on the earth. He was a desert dweller. He saw those paradise snowflakes that were all promised. <laughs> yes, most likely. Well, definitely, or whatever you believe. What For the remainder of this podcast, whatever you believe is fine with us. This yeah, is just totally. all, us telling you a story. Yeah, and uh, for, the, for the flying spaghetti monster worshipers, you are the most welcome here. Yes, uh, yes, most definitely. <laughs> uh, and so, so that's Jesus, you know, not at the North Pole, no snow. Uh, well, what about old St. Nicholas? Uh, mm. So I looked into that. Uh, and he actually resided. This is uh, most likely based on a real person uh, mm. from history who was a saint of the Catholic Church around the year like 300. But he lived in what's uh, now Demria, Turkey. Uh, and oh. I looked there. The average temperature in late December is about 50 degrees. Ha, huh, so not a flake of snow there either. And this guy was like, you know, a toy maker in the Ottoman. How does he end up becoming the iconic red clad gift bringing figure that we all know and love or fear, perhaps? Annual gift man, as he's known <laughs> on The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, shout out John Waters. Yeah, one of my favorite episodes. Um, yeah. Well, then there's another potential uh, thread in this in this Santa Claus mystery, which is an interesting one. Uh, 
Have you heard of Sinterklaas? So I believe I'm familiar with this idea. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is perhaps like a Scandinavian or Nordic version of Santa Claus that is maybe like a little darker than the version that we know of. Uh, in in every sense of the term, darker. This is yeah. uh, the this is the Netherlands uh, version of Santa Claus, and mm. it is uh, uh, forgive me, but a pretty overtly racist uh, telling of this story. Ah, so I believe you're referring to Zwarte Piet. Is that right? <laughs> He's in the mix. Yes. Oh, God. Okay, so for anybody who has not seen the horrifying images of this uh, Dutch Christmas celebration, basically there is a character who is played by a white guy in blackface who is part of the festivities uh, of Christmas. Is that right? Yeah, he's like Santa's main helper. Now, I should say, I I've used to go to Amsterdam every year for the Cannabis Cup, which was uh, late November, early December. So I have seen this live, literally stumbled upon it. It is in my God, <laughs> things might have things might have changed over the last few years in Amsterdam. And I'm not one like, I don't know, it's weird. Uh, it, it's yeah. definitely racist. It's definitely weird. Uh, but we're all at the Cannabis Cup. We're blazed. We're trying to get from one place to another for the next, you know, thing I have to work at. And all of a sudden, you're in this parade where there's, like, multiple people in blackface, uh, Dutch people in blackface, running around, uh, throwing candy, frightening children. It, it, it was quite disorienting. I later, of course, you know, learned the story. And what it is, is for them, for the Dutch... The Santa-like figure, Sinterklaas, lives in South Spain, but he shows up on a boat with uh, Schwartzy Pete and essentially a group of people who are Moorish slaves of Santa Claus, like Santa is a slave owner. Right, uh, okay. Uh, maybe in the lore there's like, they're friends or something, but no. Uh, and the <laughs> idea is not that they have come to deliver... Uh, gradiated gifts based on how good are you, you know, from like a nice pair of wooden shoes down to coal. Right. Uh, but Sinterklaas and his crew will kidnap children uh, who are insufficiently, you know, behaviorally adept in the eyes of their parents and bring them back to Spain to, in essence, enslave them. Wow. Okay, so first off, I'm... So sorry that you witnessed that without any background information. I think that's, I think that that is really a cruel thing to do to a gentle stoner, as I know you to be. But you know, I, I also got to say it, it's interesting that this is the origin story of the Santa that that we know of. But of course, all these things have sort of been sanded down. You know, like, obviously, nobody asks, like, oh, what race are Santa's elves? And, like, do they get paid? Like, is there a union? Like, you know, none of that stuff even enters the conversation. But as soon as you see Zwarta Pete and you're like, okay, so this guy gets his slaves to make him toys for children, you sort of start to get the picture. You know what I mean? Of this weird colonial background that you would never expect just knowing normal American Santa iconography. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, and also, I, I just got to point out, so Sinterklaas lives in the south of Spain. No snow. 
oh my god you're right seriously that's like like just above north africa it definitely does not get that cold there yeah so all of this begs the question you know why does santa claus live at the north pole and ride a sleigh uh, right and it is because oh and the reindeer too we're getting to the reindeer yeah oh shit okay okay <laughs> The reindeer play a very, very cool and perhaps wildly unexpected role in all of this. So Ooh, I good. think I think I may know a little something about what you're talking about here. And I'm even more excited than I was <laughs> at the top of the show. Uh, but please do go on. OK, so what, what we're looking at is that Santa Claus, as we know him, incorporates elements of all of these older stories we've been talking about. But the jolly old elf that we know and love largely derives from the imagination of Clement Clark Moore, who was a professor of divinity at the General Theological Seminary of the Protestant Episcopalian Church in New York City. Friends of the podcast, obviously. Okay, and, and, and what time period uh, are we talking about here? He, so he writes a poem, a very important poem, that sets the modern santa do you want to guess what year hmm uh perhaps like mid 1800s yeah well 1823 so okay so in 1823 uh clement clark moore i feel like you gotta just give him all three he's a wealthy aristocrat and he anonymously pens a poem called a visit from saint nicholas uh does that sound familiar is it a night before Christmas? Twas. Ah, okay. So this was the original name of the night before Christmas. You know, as soon as you mentioned like a Santa origin story poem, this is the thing that came to mind. Twas the night before Christmas. And, you know, of course, we've all seen countless renditions of this poem over the years. Yeah. And what's kind of wild is the mind bending part of it is... In the poem, he's like, S Santa, everybody knows Santa. And it's exactly like this, but it's also the thing that made everybody know Santa. Uh, because basically in the United States, and, and going back to 1823, think about, uh, you know, we had lots, and we still do, of course, um, lots of different uh, immigrant groups who came to the United States with their own conceptions of what Christmas is mm. on, a on a religious level and also on a like, what are the traditions associated with it? Uh, and you didn't have the mass media. Uh, you, d you didn't have radio even uh, to sort of give everybody a homogenized version of this. And so this poem actually ends up being the thing that blends all of these stories and and thankfully sands some of the rough edges of them <laughs> uh, off in the in terms of Sinterklaas and and produces kind of the Santa that we all know and experience at the shopping mall and on you know all these TV specials. Uh, that's that's where it comes from. This poem. Wow. So this poem is the Action Comics number one. Of Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. And I'd say my, my favorite reading of this poem is by the eminent Clark W. Griswold. Uh, reads this to the family at the end of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. The moon on the breast of the new fallen snow gave a luster of midday to objects below. When what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh. And, and, and Eddie. 
with a man in his pajamas and a dog chain tied to his wrists and ankles. What the? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Clement Clark Moore, he publishes this poem in 1823. Uh, and at first, it's just in one small town newspaper in upstate New York. But the next Christmas, a bunch more papers republish it. And then it becomes sort of like an analog meme. It's it's now in papers all over the country. People look forward to it every year. Uh, and forever after, this wide range of divergent religious, historic, and folklorish traditions, um, mm. you know, from Sinterklaas and St. Nicholas to the pagan god Odin, and there's a British legend of Father Christmas. In a very American way, all of this kind of irrevocably gets melded into the traditional Santa Claus, uh, who is, as you mentioned, the god of capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. And it all started from a poem that honestly would more aptly have been titled, There's a Man in Your House. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what's happening here. It was uh, sponsored content for a home security uh, system of the era. <laughs> it was a bear trap you could put uh, next to your next to your front door and chimney. Uh. <laughs> they were like, see, and this gets back to the idea of like, you know, it's somewhere between bringing you joy and rewarding you for being good and scaring you for being bad. You know, like that's I feel like this whole thing is kind of about judgment. It's like at the end of the year, you are judged by this strange man who comes into your house, right? And then at the beginning of next year, you resolve to fix the things that he's pointed out are wrong with you. Yeah, so that fits in with our sort of Puritan American uh, conception, but what? Mm. But there's still a lot of things unexplained. Why is he at the North Pole? Uh, what's with the reindeer, as you said, and a few other questions. So my question to you is... What if there's another Santa Claus antecedent, one that actually explains some of these more unusual aspects of the story? Yes. Yeah, so now I think and I hope that you're talking about the mushroom cults and the relationship between Santa Claus, like the red and white colors that he wears and the Amanita mushrooms that may induce hallucinations of the sort that santa is attributed with <laughs> right yeah, so hang on hang on to your sleigh bells everybody oh my god <laughs> oh my god so this is the real story of santa and and i feel like you know we've talked about the european origins we've talked about you know how they've melded together in the most popular or marketable santa that we have today but this this is something i only know a little bit about so i'm very excited to learn about but it also is so profound to me that everything you think is just there because it's there has a crazy backstory. And this is one of those things. Strap in. Strap in. Uh, pour. If, if you need a, a glass of fortified eggnog, if you got to uh, roll up some Christmas trees, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's about to get really fun and and quite weird and and I think pretty uh, enlightening and you know for those of us who might not have a religious connection to the holiday or any holiday mm -hmm. uh it, it, it's a great way to tap in and feel like okay there's a, a part of Christmas that's uh here for me too um Tight. and so 
I I think that I hope the people who listening accept us as as authorities on anything we might uh, spew about. But I, for everybody who might be a little skeptical, I'm going to bring in, uh, not literally, uh, Donald H. Feaster. He is a professor of systematic botany at Harvard University. Heard of it, Harvard? Not not shabby. (laughs) And he... Uh, so strongly believes in this theory and that Santa's reindeer fly, uh, as you said, because they're high on Amanita muscaria, a.k.a. Mm. also known as fly ajaric, uh, which is a psychedelic mushroom. It's kind of the most iconic one. Uh, it's got the big red top with the white dots. You, you can picture it. Uh, just from seeing images of it and folklore, and it kind of yeah, it's like toadstool in Mario. Yeah, I mean, you, that's once you once you understand mushrooms, you see them popping up in all these interesting places. Uh, and so, what this professor does is every year he gives a lecture to his students on Christmas Eve recounting this story uh so you know just so you know there's there's this is uh got a lot of academic credentials behind it and according to this professor and many others not only are dancer prancer donner and blixen especially blixen uh high as fuck on shrooms so too is the portly old timer manning the reins Hell yeah, I knew it. And I always knew there was something about Blitzen. You know, his <laughs> name is just different from the other ones. Somehow he like sort of stands out, you know, and like Rudolph is the one that they're like putting up front and being like, oh, he's the really sort of, you know, special or unusual one. I always had a feeling about Blitzen. So yeah, the, the, the way I always knew that Blixen was was pretty pretty heavily into the psilocybin is, you know, one year I got my regular present from Santa, and then there was one that was from Blixen, and it was Allman Brothers' Live at the Fillmore East album. So. <laughs> knew he was cool. I knew he was cool. <laughs> he was and, cool. You know, when you're when you gotta go on a sleigh all night, you know, you ever make that like driving mix for yourself and you throw oh, in yeah. some, some long jams. Yeah, absolutely. Mine is filled with like square pusher, but I also appreciate anyone who's got Almond Brothers on theirs. So according to Professor Feaster at Harvard University, here's what he says. Uh, you know, the idea is that the reindeer go berserk because they're eating Amanita muscaria. The reindeers are flying. Are they really flying or are your senses telling you they're flying because you're hallucinating also? Ah, yeah. See, this is so interesting. And and, and I've got to say that, you know, I have had psychedelic experiences that very weirdly have imagery or like color schemes or patterns that I kind of associate with Christmas in a weird way. You know what I mean? And I mean, to some people, this might sound completely crazy, but if you've tried, you know, DMT or psychedelic mushrooms, you may have seen things, you know, like elves and, and you're like, hmm, like, why is there a parallel here? And that is not a coincidence. And, and that really is, I think, what's at the heart of, of this story here, this revelation, uh, is that that's all connected and that there is a very psychedelic nature to all of the things we're talking about. The flying reindeer, the, you know, the elves, all of it. Yeah. So we've got these we've got these uh, reindeer finding Amanita Mascara mushrooms they're eating them the reindeer are tripping uh but that's not all 
because then we have Santa. Mm. You know, the you ruddy know, cheek. Santa, yeah. <laughs> hey, Santa. I know this fucking guy. I've known him all my life. <laughs> I saw him kiss my mom one time. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, that's messed up, fucking Santa. My dad was away. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be right back up that chimney, you <laughs> cookie-stealing bastard. I know, uh, right? <laughs> you milk-sipping fucking... Elf-enslaving. <laughs> yeah, you racist <laughs> bastard. Capitalist pig. So he was the Jeff Bezos of his day. Oh my uh, god, so much the Jeff Bezos of his day. Holy shit, that's <laughs> such a parallel. Because, like, you know, you hear all the stories about, like, Amazon workers going on strike and shit. Like, those are elves making the toys that you want. They, like, literally bring them to your door. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you have no idea. It's like, for you, the pleasure of this materialism is just, there's like a, a, a thin veneer hiding all the darkness that, that facilitates it for you. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. and as we as we get back as we move now into uh, a much 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 older Santa tradition, we're mm. gonna see that that capitalism. Uh, spoiler alert was uh, kind of implanted into the story by capitalism. It, it's, don't say. Yeah. Wow. Who would have suspected? So now we've got these mushroom uh, infused flying reindeer. Uh, like, you know, that's a real thing that they do. Uh, and now we have Santa Claus, our ruddy-cheeked, merry, magical fellow, who, as you, as you alluded to, he dresses in a bright red suit with white trim, topped mm. off by a bright red cap with a white ball on top. Uh, makes him look sort of suspiciously like something. Yeah, he looks like a kind of like mushroom little DMT elf man. Yes. He is dressed in an ensemble remarkably similar to the traditional fur-trimmed jackets that Siberian shamans would wear when collecting Amanita muscaria for ceremonial use. Ha! Oh my god, that is so crazy. See, okay, so, so now we're getting into a different religion altogether that has influenced this sort of religious iconography, right? And that's these mushroom cults uh, of, of Siberia, Central Asia, Europe. And this is something I'm, I'm really fascinated about because, you know, before, uh, you know, the, the rampant popularity of monotheism and, you know, the, the major world religions that we have today, there were a lot of smaller groups of people, uh, you know, with more localized uh, spirituality that was, you know, rooted in the, the psychedelic and other psychoactive plants that were available in that environment. And a lot of them were coming to the same conclusion. So, you know, as we do when we eat mushrooms. Yeah, absolutely. And we should so mention this a shaman is a spiritual guide type figure in a lot of these older cultures who would ingest psychedelic substances themselves, lead ceremonies of other people. So not usually quite a dogmatic figure that's going to tell you what the religion is, but somebody who is adept with psychedelic plants of varying kinds, depending where you live, by and large, and is 
given this ceremonial role within society and and a, a reverential role, somebody who is looked up to and initiates people into the wonders of psychedelic states. Yes. And you know what? The thing I love about shamans is that if you've got a guy who's your medicine man, who's giving you medicine that he wants you to take, you want to see him take it himself. You know, <laughs> I, you know, I know nowadays, of course, we respect doctors and all that. But, you know, when one of them is prescribing you Oxycontin, I feel like it's like you're going to take a couple of these with me. <laughs> so I think it's very interesting that, you know, like we're talking about uh, traditions where uh, a provider of medicinal support and spiritual support it's it's sort of all balled into you know the same person yeah those lines are very very blurred and i think as they should be i think the unblurring of those lines has been to our detriment uh to yes. separate the spiritual the medicinal the nutritional i, I don't know the nutritional value of psychedelic much I, I wouldn't rely on them as a part of a healthy breakfast uh but mm -hmm. they're good for your brain Yes. And so going to a different academic, so as uh, John Rush, an anthropologist at Sierra College, explained it this way, he said, up until a few hundred years ago, these practicing shamans would dress up like Amanita muscaria mushrooms and go out to collect them. Then, and let me know if this sounds familiar, they would dry them and give them as gifts to people on the winter solstice, which is December 21st, usually. Oh, okay. So now we've got the convention of gift giving that has entered the, the fold. And frankly, a far better gift than any of the gifts most of us will receive <laughs> on any holiday season. Seriously, would you rather have like a sock subscription or would you rather have a fat sack of mushrooms? I mean, come on. One of them is just, you know, more crap that you're going to accumulate in your closet. And the other is going to inch you towards enlightenment. I mean, which one is the better gift, truly? I, I will say if, 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 if Amazon was doing the people who bought this also bought that. Uh, <laughs> some good warm socks if you're going to be out tripping in, in mid-December. You don't want your feet to get cold. That's so you know? true. Yeah, and, and actually, I mean, it does make me think that, you know, some of the more harrowing trips I've had, and not in the sense of being a bad trip, but just uh, being in elements that are harder to enjoy when you're tripping have been in the wintertime. You know, like when you're in high school, uh, you know, like there's not many places to trip. And, you know, it's not like tripping season stops when it gets cold or anything like mm. that. So, you know, it's like I definitely have memories of experiencing trips outside and they were always like a little bit more intense. But I also am a person who grew up in Thailand, so I'm not exactly mm -hmm. as acclimated as, you know, uh, some of the shaman disciples we're talking about in Siberia. Yeah, well, we're, that gets to our next point and, and our next deep connection to modern Christmas is... Yeah. It's December 21st, cold as fuck in Siberia, no doubt. Uh, also, obviously, very close to Christmas. And this is part of a larger uh, process of Christianity kind of taking over older uh, pagan holidays. The winter solstice is the shortest day of the year. It's also the day the sun begins returning closer to the earth. That's a huge date on the pagan calendar. I I'm no expert, but I know it's right. one of, if not 
the most important date. So to sort of superimpose, if you're trying to move people away from that tradition mm -hmm. and into your new tradition, and you're just like, oh, Christmas, our biggest day uh, is also the same. Yeah. And, you know, this sort of like religious repurposing, the repurposing of rituals, the kind of adapting one religion to another is it occurs throughout the history of many, many religions. You know, if you look at when the Roman Empire adopted Christianity, there was a parallel holiday to Christmas called Carnival, where they would sort of give meat to all the citizens. There was a parallel for Easter. There's a parallel for other days so you could more easily transition your people into a new religion. Yeah, it got a lot less trippy over the years, but but we're bringing it back. Yeah, we're trying, man. This <laughs> Christmas is special. Everybody's stuck at home. So, you know, uh, let's all try to incorporate more psychedelics into the tradition. Yeah, absolutely. And this gets to the get, being stuck at home uh, gets into our next move of these shamans is, mm. okay, They've gone out. They've done the hard work. They've collected these mushrooms. Uh, they follow the reindeer because the reindeer like them. So this this gets to our next challenge. Our hardworking and kind-hearted shamans have gone out. They followed the reindeer herd. Uh, the reindeers find the mushrooms. The shamans are following the reindeer. They mm. gather up some mushrooms for everyone. Uh, now they got to make home delivery. Uh, but when they get to your door, it's mid-December in Siberia, your door is blocked with snow. Oh my God. Okay. I think I see where you're going with this. <laughs> this is, well, you know, this really is the actual beginning of the famous poem. There's a man in your house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so the, the structures that people were living in, the easiest way is if you know what a yurt is, uh... Mm. Uh, a, a kind of a almost like a tent that would have an opening at the top so you could have a fire inside and the smoke would go out the top not too different from a chimney yeah uh, and so the shamans and you're like snowbound in your house you know trying to live out this awful winter pretty bored uh you know been stuck with the same small number of people for quite a long time mm -hmm. uh it's the darkest shortest day of the year Everybody's feeling kind of down. And then all of a sudden, what should a clatter or whatever? <laughs> uh, <laughs> here comes this guy dressed like a mushroom, jumping down through the roof of your yurt with a big sack full of mushrooms. Oh, my God. And, you know, if your house is encased in a mound of snow, you know, it's reasonable to think that you might hear the footsteps of the reindeer coming up against your walls or ceiling i mean look we're talking about a yurt which is essentially a dome right and you know there's no real flat roof on this thing or anything like you would think of like a traditional thatched roof that is a clatter with the footsteps of reindeer but in this situation you can kind of picture that okay there's this house buried in snow the shaman shows up he can't get to the door he's got his reindeer with him the way you know he's there is you hear the a, a clattering of the of the reindeer footsteps and then you're like oh here's this guy and he comes down and you know he's gone to all this trouble so you give him milk and cookies right <laughs> whatever the equipment probably like yak milk and and bulgur cookies or something i <laughs> yeah yeah so I've actually slept in a yurt in Siberia as part of a, a doc I was shooting a while ago. 
I did get to drink fermented yak's milk or perhaps horse milk because there's a lot of horses around there too. Uh, needless to say, nobody came through the chimney with mushrooms, unfortunately. Uh, but I have an idea of the snacks. <laughs> nice. I, you know, I'm putting that on my wish list. Uh, warm yeah. socks, mushrooms, and some fermented yak milk. Yeah. <laughs> Here's another interesting question. Mm. Any idea where Amanita muscaria mushrooms are found? If you're, if you're a mushroom mm. forager, where would you be looking for them? Hmm. I'm not exactly sure. I, I'm, I'm not a mushroom forager, but I would guess, you know, on a forest floor in a relatively wet and moist area. Yes. And very specifically, they are found underneath fir and evergreen trees. Oh, my God. The greatest gift that you could possibly receive is one, in fact, that you would find under your Christmas tree and it's fucking mushrooms. That is absolutely crazy. You know, if you take a nature walk, you know, whenever, you'll see that mushrooms do choose these sort of, you know, places to, to thrive. You know, very often it's like a place that's like a little bit shaded, uh, you know, a place that's wet and moist. And of course, you know, underneath the tree. That is so fucking crazy, man. Bean, when you promised that minds would be blown <laughs> over the course of this episode, you are not lying because that is absolutely fucking crazy. I was at a Christmas tree lot yesterday. My girlfriend wanted to get a little Christmas tree for her place. And we were there like looking at these trees, you know, there's like a line of trees. And I was like, wow, it's so strange. You know, when you take a step back and realize that like every season, there's this tradition where, you go and get a tree from outside and put it inside your house, like in the corner, and then you put presents under it and you like decorate it, like you do whatever. And I was like, what a strange tradition. And here we are, I'm realizing that it all has to do with mushrooms. Everything is drugs, people. If that if there's one thesis statement of this show, it's that just everything goes back to some sort of awesome natural substance that has been put there for us, that is really a gift to us as humanity, and this is no different. Yeah, I'll, I'll summarize just to say, uh, you ever looked at a tree covered in tinsel? You ever looked at a tree covered in tinsel on, on shrooms? <laughs> <laughs> and I do want to quickly say, don't ever eat a mushroom that you find outside of a store <laughs> unless you yeah. really know what you're doing. Uh, and oh, even yeah. Amanita muscaria, don't just grab one off the ground and eat it. It needs to be uh, handled and processed properly, which we, which we will get to in a minute. Um, a few other things, points to make, you know, the whole red and white motif of Christmas is from the Amanita muscaria is, is red and white. And uh, even down to things like stringing popcorn and cranberries. Uh, mm. uh, that mimics the way that you would get these mushrooms and and string them up in in front of the fire to dry them out, uh, which oh. makes them more potent and makes them a little easier to digest. Oh my god, that is so crazy! Literally every little detail it has something to do with with a mushroom thing, and like. So th this is pretty well proven, right? I mean, how theoretical is this backstory? I mean, we got a guy from Harvard. What more could we possibly do to confirm this? 
I, I mean, short of a time machine, it's to me. There's there's no counter argument. You know, there's there's too much there, and it's 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 too uh, sort of well documented. I think to me, one of the most compelling things is you can go back to the even the 1800s, and you can find these old sort of woodcuts and Christmas, like the earliest Christmas ornaments would often show Santa with these mushrooms on them. And we'll put some on our Great Moments in Weed History uh, Instagram for sure for you to see. And these are, you know, yeah, there's newer ones that people have drawn, but you can find ones that are over 100 years old, uh, even greeting cards that people would send. So I'm giving this zero Pinocchios. I'm saying that I'm Mm. I'm quite confident that this, uh, uh, you know, you might find somebody to dispute it, but they would be a very uh, curmudgeonly and... uh, unshroomy person for sure yeah seriously anyone who then defends the you know the capitalist backstory over this one is probably lame yes that's a strong correlation should we just keep piling the evidence on let's do it man i want more okay so this is another another really interesting angle on this uh this is dana larson a longtime cannabis researcher and he was writing about how even Putting a star on the top of the Christmas tree references the shamanistic traditions of the tribal peoples of pre-Christian uh, Northern Europe. Uh, so this is this is Dana Larson writing. The star too. <laughs> Insane. I, you know, it crossed my mind a second ago when we talked about Christmas lights, but now I'm like, actually, the star too. Insane. Take that, Jesus. <laughs> He did. I I think that the lesson too is and and do go listen to our episode in season one about Jesus's use of cannabis. Yes, and and partly the theme of the of our whole show is how much of this important, interesting, fun you know foundational history has been rewritten and erased to deny us all. Uh, our birthright of of access to these plants and these mind consciousness states. And it's no coincidence that uh, capitalism is what we were given uh, in its place. So Yeah, that's right. Jeff Bezos does not want you to know about the mushroom <laughs> origins of Christmas. We have some good friends at a publication called Double Blind. They're new. They're covering psychedelics in a really cool way. They have great guides on how to safely consume uh, psychedelic mushrooms, how to grow your own. Um, so I recommend that. And, you know, do a, if, if this is all new to you, do a lot of learning before you, you do anything else. Uh, yes, absolutely. And Double Blind is a really good resource. No matter what your level of experience is, you'll probably learn something and take something away from it that improves your overall experience of using psychedelics for whatever you want to use them for. Absolutely. And also maybe check out MAPS the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies for a bit more of an academic take and all the latest incredible research into how uh, plant medicines, uh, which are now decriminalized in Oregon and Washington, D.C., and soon Mm -hmm. many other places uh, have incredible medicinal and spiritual value for people. So 
yeah. and we'll put in the sh- we'll put in the show notes a lot of links to learn more about mushrooms and other psychedelics. Yeah, definitely. And you know, Maps has been keeping psychedelics legit for a long time. You know what I mean? I, I think that they're an organization that has really taken a scientific approach. You know, taking a pretty conventional approach to demonstrating the benefits of psychedelics for all sorts of different things. So huge shout out maps. It's because of places like maps that, you know, psychedelics are now starting to become legalized. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And of course it's because of the uh, long shamanic traditions going back Mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of years that we have this tradition to relearn and to reconnect to. Um, Yes. including uh, to understand why we put a star on the top of our Christmas tree. Oh, my God. Why? This is insane. <laughs> okay, so this is Dana Larson writing, and he says, These ancient peoples, including the Sami tribes of the central Russian steppes, mm. uh, they believed in the idea of a world tree that served as a kind of cosmic axis onto which the planes of the universe are fixed. Whoa. Very trippy. Yes, very well said also. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and so the roots of this world tree, and you got to picture this in your mind, uh, they stretch down into the underworld, mm-hmm. while the trunk of the tree is the, quote, middle earth of everyday existence, where you and I live, uh, and everyone listening to this, uh, almost all of our lives. But the branches of the tree reach upward into a spiritual realm wow Um, now so that that places our tree in a in a big context the north star was also considered sacred since all the other stars in the sky revolve around its fixed point oh you see where this is going yeah the top of the world tree touched the north star And so the spirit of the shaman in these psychedelic states would climb up this tree, the world tree, and thereby pass into the realm of the gods. Whoa. This, yes. And this is the true meaning of the star on the top of the modern Christmas tree and also the reason that Santa Claus makes his home at the North Pole. Oh my God. Literally, they thought of everything. (laughs) And that's really incredible. You know, if you can imagine the image, right, of a fir tree, right, of an evergreen tree in the wild, right, in in a Siberian forest, it's drizzled in snow. So there's like sort of snow frosting different parts of it, right? And underneath it, there is a family of Amanita mushrooms, red and white. And you're looking up at this tree against the night sky, and what you see through all the branches are a bunch of stars almost decorating this thing, like Christmas lights or or ornaments. And at the very top, you see the North Star at the top tip of this tree, right? And you're tripping. So you're seeing all kinds of other crazy shit hanging from the tree, too. (laughs) I mean, that is the most Christmas image that, that I, I can think of at all. You know what I'm saying? Like it's got green, it's got red, it's got all of the visual traits of Christmas. That is incredible. 
It's the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah, and I think one, one last thing to keep in mind, you know, often when these, uh, you know, when you're going from these older traditions, shamanistic pagan traditions to these Christian traditions, it, it's not always by choice uh, and very often not. And so we see, you know, these things like putting the star on top of the tree, the red and white as attempts to hold on to these older cultures and embed them in these new traditions so as not to lose connection entirely and for us uh, a thousand years later or whatever it allows us to follow these breadcrumbs back and so it it, it has worked in its way um, if all of this was lost entirely um, we would have no way to go back and 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 figure this out and of course the the last piece of the puzzle I think we got to talk a little bit more about these reindeer yeah oh my god okay so what more can we say about these reindeer well, uh, <laughs> now it's going to get, uh, hang on even tighter to your sleigh bells. Oh, boy. Uh, Amanita muscaria, or flyageric uh, mushrooms, are actually mildly poisonous if you eat them. Uh, so it won't kill you, but it will, could give you very uh, unpleasant, uh, you know, feeling, digestive, etc. Mm. But those poisons are broken down when you digest and eat the mushrooms. Mm. But the psychoactive compounds in the mushrooms remain fully active in your urine. So some ancient tribes, instead of eating the mushrooms or in addition to eating the mushrooms, they would drink the urine of reindeer who'd eaten the mushrooms so that they could get high but not have these tummy aches. Wow, that is crazy. Certainly from a modern perspective, pretty gross. You know what I mean? I think in <laughs> in our worldview, drinking any kind of urine is a pretty nasty thing. Uh, but there are cultures all over the world, uh, you know, ancient and modern, where drinking urine of various kinds is, is seen as something medicinal. And in this case, I mean, you sort of see that they have an almost scientific understanding of this natural process. You know, it makes me think of the way that um, the Iowa Scaros uh, in South and Central America for thousands of years have known that, you know, you mix the vine with this other natural occurring substance. And that's what will, you know, prevent your body from too quickly breaking down the DMT. And, you know, they sort of have, you know, their shamans and they're mixing herbs, but really behind the, that mixing of herbs, there is a scientific understanding. I mean, and you have to really think about, you know, before modern science, these are people who understood, okay, like, there are separate compounds in this thing. I want one of them, but not the other. And this reindeer is almost like a filter, uh, you know, for that. So you can just get the, the compound that you want. I think that's very interesting. And I also think that that's why... A shaman who is going around bringing people, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, gifts during this solstice would want to keep some reindeer around so he could occasionally, you know, re-up a little, you know, take a hit, as it were, of reindeer. <laughs> yeah, you want to get high on your own supply of yeah. psilocybin-infused reindeer urine. I mean, or that's... Blixen's supply. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
I, 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 I water down Blitzen's a little bit. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you like, you like know your reindeer and you're like, oh man, is it a Rudolph kind of night or is it like a Blitzen kind of night? You know? It's like the ABV tells you how much alcohol there is. Blitzen's like one of those <laughs> yeah. triple, triple hop. Uh, and so yeah, if he's you got that buy... look in his eye tonight, you know, I don't know if I want to drink his pee. <laughs> so if you've listened this long and you've been along with us this far and it all sounds like it makes uh, a trippy kind of sense to you but you're you're doubting the reindeer urine drinking thing uh i'm gonna kick it to this very upper crusty sounding guy from the bbc just for a second in the past sami shamans took fly agaric in their visionary rituals They even drank urine from reindeer, believed to be under the influence. Wow, this has been the most earth-shattering Christmas special of any kind ever. I gotta say, there is no <laughs> amount of claymation puppetry that could, you know, completely change the way that you perceive Christmas, the way that... We just did in, the, in this last hour. This shit is fucking crazy. And if you are listening to this on Christmas or any other day, I truly hope that it has shaken your foundational belief in Christmas as it has ours. Yeah. So just to recap, because uh, we covered a lot of ground, you know, not as mm. much as Santa in one night, but we covered a lot of ground. Yeah. So to recap... Santa Claus is an Arctic shaman who dresses up like a magic mushroom, follows reindeers through the woods until they happen upon some psychedelic mushrooms, and then waits for the winter solstice to break into your house in the middle of the night and gift you dried magic mushrooms, psychedelic reindeer urine, or both. And then, <laughs> <laughs> upon waking... You and your family scarf down these shrooms and spend the day tripping balls and gazing in wide wonder at the pine tree you dragged inside and festooned with ornaments. Wow, the true meaning of Christmas right there. <laughs> and you know what the real takeaway of this is? Boys and girls, it has nothing to do with how bad or good you have been all year. <laughs> You're all good. This is not about judgment. You know what I mean? This is not about being like, review yourself and feel shame and you know like you get a lump of coal nobody gets a lump of coal in the true meaning of christmas everybody gets mushrooms and everybody deserves mushrooms and when you eat them you realize that the very concept of good and bad uh is this earthly thing that doesn't even matter once you get into the higher branches of your christmas tree wow very nicely done <laughs> thank you i'm very high <laughs> Well, I just wanted to say, you know, uh, this has been a real one for me. I I loved telling you this story. I I miss you, buddy. For I miss uh, you too, man. I think let's let's can we can we smoke a little weed together on the on the outro on this one? I got I got yes. I got my I got my 2020 homegrown is now nicely cured, and and I'll share some with you next time I'm able to uh, puff puff pass instead of oh, just man. puff puff. I would love that, and I miss smoking with you. You know, this is the first official episode we're doing remotely. You know, I, I think that when we get to do it in the room, it's just us hanging out, and I love that so much. And, you know, 
this is not as good, but it's still so fantastic to recapture that spirit with you, you know, especially for a Christmas episode and to tell this story that, you know, is just so special and I think gets to the heart of why we do the show because if we don't talk about this stuff, I'm afraid it'll be forgotten. So thank you so much for that story, Bean. Anytime and everybody listening, as we said at the top, your support means the world to us, whether it's just sending yes. us a nice message, whether it's putting a review on iTunes, whether it is joining us on Patreon, or honestly, please tell your friends about the show. If you if you listen this long, yeah. you must have loved it. Uh, and make sure you get together even remotely with your friends and blaze a nice J this Christmas, uh, crunch, a, crunch a cap and a stem, uh, and uh, we'll be right there with you. Yeah, and, you know, please follow us on social media. That's at G-M-I-W-H podcast on all platforms. Support us on Patreon. Uh, And, yeah, have yourself a really special holiday. Take it easy on yourself. It's been a really crazy, hard year, and we all deserve to chill. So be good to yourself. Be good to each other. Stay indoors. Wash your hands. We love you, and we'll see you again soon. Well, that's the show, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And if you stuck around this long, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can put five on it at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. And that would really help us as we research, write, edit, and publish a new episode every Weedness Day. Great Moments in Weed History is written, produced, and performed by me, David Beanenstock, a.k.a. Bean. Special thanks to our sponsor, PAX. Go to PAX.com and use promo code GREATMOMENTS, all one word, for a big discount at checkout.